Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Daily Friend Wrap. I'm your host, Nicholas Lorimer, and today I'm joined by Makone Maja. And let us get into the news of today. And the first thing I think we should talk about today is that the 115 uh, businesses, CEOs, who recently signed a letter committing to build South Africa have warned President Soro Ramaphosa that if urgent measures are not taken soon to address the country's energy, logistics, and crime crises, that unemployment could hit as high as 38% by 2030. Uh, this is according to modeling and projections they've done. It's not just a number they picked out of thin air. And they are assuming that there will be an average economic growth between now and 2030 of 0.75, which is really low, but kind of seems accurate based on the current course we're on. Makore, what do you make of this? Uh, we've I've been a bit skeptical about some of these businesses and how much of an impact they really are willing to make because I think that they're not grappling with the politics of this uh, in an honest way. And yet I am glad that uh, they are highlighting the desperate economic situation that we're in. Yeah, this is, I share your exact sentiments. I'm also a bit skeptical of big business and they're, they tend to usurp a lot of government rules and initiatives, but I'm equally keen to see business be more assertive in uh, the downfall of the South African economy, because of course they are right in the front line of it. And I, I actually think they, they need to have conditions in which the government needs to agree for them to get involved in alleviating a lot of the challenges the government has imposed on South Africa. So I think we could use a little bit more sternness from business um, in setting conditions for participating in any project or program that will see South Africa be lifted out of this. I also think it's worth mentioning that this is a seven-year projection, right? So they're not saying could reach 38% in the next five years, but in the next 10 years already, uh, in the next seven years already, rather. Uh, and that's that's quite concerning. In the next seven years, a lot would have happened. The South African population would have grown, which means infrastructure will be far more strained than it currently is. And so if dilapidation continues at this rate, if load shedding continues, uh, South Africa will have far bigger problems than we, we already have right now as it stands. No, I think that's exactly right. And in fact, I would say that if you're assuming an, an average growth rate of, what, 0.75%, that in fact, the situation might even be worse uh, come that time. Because I think that to, to think that there won't be major economic ructions in the next uh, decade um, is probably a little bit naive. So it may even turn out that a, that a forecast as dire as this might be a little bit rosy. Um, and that is, as I think, exactly highlights the position that we're in, how urgently the course needs to be changed for government to start implementing more flexible labor legislation, for government to start uh, uh, actually uh, hiring on merit and not involving racial politics or uh, cater deployment in, the, in, 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 in how people get into government or into the, the private sector. Uh, and if, yeah, if we don't have that turnaround very soon, um, I think the unemployment rate may in fact be some of the least of our worries. I can see, mm. as you say, uh, collapses to infrastructure, whole, you know, a city like Johannesburg, which uh, we're not going to talk about it today, but it seems to be in an increasingly worse position. Um, I do get annoyed, though, in that the appeal is once again sort of made to government as very much going along the lines of this uh, collaborative idea. We'll work with government. Unfortunately, government is the problem, <laughs> and pressure needs to actually be placed on government politically. You can't just say, no, no, we back you 100%, 100%, uh, 
Um, but please, pretty please, could you do something slightly different? You actually have to yeah. say, look, if you don't do this, we <laughs> will do everything we can in our power to make sure that you not do not remain the government. Bra uh, difficult thing to do, scary thing to do, but urgently needed. Yeah. So CEO of the CRA, John Andrews, usually uses the phrase that government or business rather needs to be a context maker rather than a context taker, which they historically have been. That's their role. They've accepted the set of conditions governments have presented to them um, and sort of have acquiesced along, despite the fact that they were led down a glib path. But yeah, no, I, I think you're right about the, the asking for permission rather than for, forgive, for forgiveness, right? Is that Business has been very polite in accepting a lot of the conditions we've been um, subject to by, by governments. And actually, a certain reality set into me, listening to you say that 0 0.75 uh, growth projection could be rosy, given that there's always intervening events. But at least in seven years, there will be an inter some intervening event economically. Um, so it's not exactly um, hopeful to, to peg our hopes on on that 0.75 prediction right i mean look at the last three years and you can see exactly how tumultuous the world has been of late okay let's move on to our next story and this is about the makondo municipality in limpopo where uh, members of the independent municipal allied trade union and the south african municipal workers union are very upset about the process for appointing a chief financial officer. Now, this may not seem like an important story, but it's a kind of a microcosm of the way our municipalities are run across the country. This position of who the chief financial officer uh, should be has been vacant for five years. So there has been no one except an acting person in the position for five years. There were apparently interviews conducted recently by the municipality to see who should permanently, permanently take the position. And the unions say that uh, one candidate, the acting candidate, scored far higher than any other candidate, and yet he still hasn't been appointed. They accuse the ANC's um, transport MEC in the province of interfering politically because he wants his own candidate appointed. Uh, he has claimed that the interview process was manipulated, and uh, th therefore that they're not going to go ahead with the uh, appointment yet. Bit of a mess, but um, not unusual for South Africa's rural municipalities. No, I'm actually reminded of the lashing Chief Justice Zondo leveled at the then Minister of Transport for a similar event where the board of Transnet was left vacant for many years. And what the minister, what the Chief Justice essentially said was that he rendered the board useless, dysfunctional, because it could not co-rate, and so no meaningful decisions could be taken as far as the state-owned uh, entity was concerned. But I'm also reminded of a very recent event where the SABC board uh, was finally appointed by the president after months and years of a similar thing, a vacant board, again rendering the SABC, which is in a lot of financial trouble, as we've since come to learn, dysfunctional. But these sort of things are to be expected where the doorstoppers, the checks and balances that are supposed to be in place to guard against corruption, to watch the purse of these in government entities or municipalities are left wide open and vulnerable, right? So it's, it's, it's very telling of a lot of what happens in South African uh, government entities and certainly no surprise to see this at the local government level. Okay, let's move on to our last story for today. And this is concerning the BRICS Summit, which is going to be held in Cape Town uh, in a few weeks' time. 
Uh, and now there was a lot of news focused on this because there were questions as to whether Russian President Vladimir Putin was going to appear in person, uh, which would have caused complications with the South African government as there is an arrest warrant out for him concerning uh, issued by the International Criminal Court to which South Africa is a signatory. Um, Putin in the end has decided that he's going to attend the thing virtually, which uh, you know has saved, I think, the government some hours of nervous sweating and, uh, and difficult decisions. Uh, but it has, I think, probably reduced the the sort of impact of the summit. Now there are there are signs that Indian Prime Minister Narendra Modi is maybe a little bit interested in attending virtually as well rather than in person. And there is some speculation based on uh, claims by some Indian officials that this is really because India is not as keen on being part of the BRICS group as it used to be. And in fact, it would like to pursue closer relations with the US and with Japan and uh, with, with some European countries. And uh, it's also got an, a growing antagonistic relationship with China. India, after all, has got territorial disputes with China. There's sort of great power competition between them for control over the Indian Ocean and Southeast Asia. And now um, there have also been major bans of Indian technology in China and of Chinese technology in India. So, Makone, it really seems to me like the big problem with BRICS is that the I and the C, India and China, really don't see eye to eye. Um, and that fundamentally is kind of a flaw in the idea of BRICS as a unified group. What do you make this? They don't seem to unite on a similar set of values, right? And I think that's what's causing the polarization between the parties. But I also wanted to add that in addition to the tech and turf wars between uh, India and China, that we recently heard reports of Chinese reporters being banished from India and Indian reporters also being banished, banished from China. So again, it, it proves it's not enough to unite against a common enemy, I would say. We've also seen Modi recently take a trip diplomatic mission to the U.S. and play nice with them over there. Um, the U.S. is also moving a lot of their... At least it's looking like they'll be moving a lot of um, production of products that are of national security over to uh, India from China. Um, so it is in India's best interest to now start playing nice with the U.S. And I think one of the U.S.'s prerequisites in that would definitely be uh, that India not be um, as friendly on the international level at, with, with China as historically has been the case. Indeed. Uh, and so we're, we seem to be kind of heading for um, a, a, I think, a reshaped uh, global lines in the in the power blocks uh, as the competition increases between the United States and China going forward. Um, so we'll have to keep a close eye on that. I remain skeptical of BRICS's long-term future. I think, you know, maybe a Russia-China, maybe even including Brazil thing might continue along with smaller countries, maybe include something like Algeria or Ethiopia in that. But uh, I think ultimately the idea that India and China are going to sit together on the world stage as a power block is, is, is probably dead and buried at this point. Anyway, um, that's all the time we have for today. We hope that you found this show interesting, and we will be back tomorrow with another Daily Friend wrap. That's a wrap. Thank you.